former Republican Congressman Scott Klug from Wisconsin has a podcast called Lost in the Middle, and he's doing an upcoming segment on ticket splitting in Georgia. And of course, you know, it's interesting because we did have a big issue in the last two elections. Uh, One was with the first time Reverend Warnock was voted in, there was a split between him and the Republicans, people that voted for Warnock, but also voted for Trump in 2020. But there was also in this last election, people that voted for Warnock and voted for Brian Kemp uh, for governor. So we see that, especially among, um, interestingly enough, agriculture people. But we're bringing in Scott, Scott Klug right now. Scott, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, thanks. Uh, I'm Battling a little cold, so if I sneeze along the way, please don't be insulted. So, oh, yeah, it won't nice be. And if I start sneezing, Logan will tell you I do 15 in a row, so it's crazy. But anyway, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just call back in after you're done sneezing. Yeah, so. so listen, there's this concept in this particular election cycle of, you know, third-party candidates. We've got several of them out there. I think Robert Kennedy's probably going to make it on the ballot. We had two people call in yesterday saying they're voting for Robert Kennedy. So we've got this this situation in a very conservative area here in North Georgia where there's a lot of discussion about what's going to happen. And um, that we're going to see that in the presidential election. But also we've got some history here in Georgia in the last two cycles where there's some ticket splitting. Tell us a little bit about what you found. Well, so, you know, most political science professors will try to argue that ticket splitting doesn't happen very more. And it doesn't really happen in House and presidential races. So most of the time, almost every district in the country votes for the member of Congress who's the same party of uh, president that wins the district. But in 2022, sort of ticket splitting broke out all over the country again. Uh, And I'll just do a couple of states. So Maine and New Hampshire and New England, Georgia and the South, North Carolina had some ticket splitting. Uh, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada. So it's interesting. And and you see, I think, a lot of people taking a look at this just because, well, two things. Um, I think to balance out uh, the government, right, so not everybody gets to drive the bus, that you've got to have agreements going on. But I think people are frustrated in some cases where, um, you know, harder left or harder right candidates make it through the primary and folks are just deciding they can't go with the fringe. So that's um, it, it was interesting, and that'll be a big challenge to see what happens a year from now, just because the handwriting's on the wall in a lot of cases, and the split, like it was in Georgia, in most cases, were people voting for one party for a governor and another party for the senator, but for the Senate, but not consistently. So in Georgia, it was a governor and a senator, and Wisconsin it was a governor and a senator. In New Hampshire, it was a senator and a governor. So um, it's uh, it's it's an interesting trend. And, and, you know, I grew up, Wisconsin's always had sort of weird voting patterns. And I grew up in a household where my mom was an Irish Catholic Democrat child of a union railroad worker. And my dad was a German Republican Lutheran businessman. So we never talked much about the Immaculate Conception at the dinner table and never really talked much about politics. But I know from when I was growing up, they oftentimes split tickets. So it's uh, it's something in the water here. But um, I think it's a healthy trend. People disagree. So my parents were exactly the same way. My mother was a Southern FDR Democrat and my dad was a Republican. And we did talk politics at the dinner table, but my mother never voiced her opinion. I just knew later that she voted Democrat. You know, she never challenged my father on what he was talking about related to how he voted. But but she, you know, she I think he knew, of course, because everybody in the South back then were FDR Democrats because they looked at it as them as him saving them. 
I mean, you know, by creating jobs and all of that kind of stuff. Now, you said a couple of things that I think are, are really interesting. One, you mentioned about the primary. And I ran for Congress in 2012. I made it through the primary and got to the runoff. And I actually am a political scientist. I did my thesis on women's electoral success in the Republican Party. I, I graduated my first degree in 79 and my second one in 2021. So I had a little gap in there of real life. But um, women have a heart, are perceived to be more liberal than their male counterparts. So that helps them in a Democrat primary, hurts them in a Republican primary. But I think primaries, while the idea was to get out of the smoke-filled rooms, what it's done is driven us to the right and the left as far as the candidates we pick. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, one thing you may, may not have seen, Martha, is in October, independence became the largest single registrant in Nevada. So um, in, independents are almost as many as Republicans and Democrats added together. And that raises the question about whether we should have open primaries, because as it stands now, if you're a Democrat, can't vote in a Republican Party in, so, in, in a primary in some states, unless you re-register away from a Democrat to become a Republican. And I think if you do that, you get more people um, who will uh, go towards candidates who are more centrist. So the, the, you, know, there, you and I can argue, because I've talked to so many political scientists about this, exactly how big the center is in the country. But if you look at a Brookings study that was done a few years ago, they asked people if they wanted a party to the left of the Democrats, to the right of the Republicans, sort of leave things alone or split the difference. And split the difference was 44%. So I make the case that a lot of a lot of Americans just, you know, it seems goofy with, you know, the during the Kevin McCarthy stuff, I got stopped by people in grocery stores and coffee shops saying, what is going on? I mean, the Democrats are trying to take the stove out of my kitchen and the Republicans are banning middle school books. I mean, who signed up for this? And I think the public at large is really frustrated that both of the parties essentially are in a position now where the extreme has become normal. Well, and I think, too, Georgia does have an open primary um, where you do not have to register by party, but but you do have to follow it through. So if you start out voting Republican in a primary, if it goes to a runoff, you still have to vote Republican. You know, you have to vote in the Republican runoff. But I, I see your point there. I want to ask you what you think about party realignment, that some of this is probably uh, a, a symptom of party realignment, do you think? Um, it is. And if you look, for example, this is, this is one thing that's actually coming up in an episode we have in January on www.lostmiddle.com, is that basically the Republicans traded the Democrats for New England and the South. If you look today, George H. Bush could not get elected in his own district in Maine, and Bill Clinton would have gotten destroyed running for governor in Arkansas. So the South is, is clearly realigned to be much more conservative and much more Republican and New England, um, it's hard to find Republicans, although New England has this weird thing where if you look at the congressional districts and the presidential elections, it's almost always pretty Democratic, except for New Hampshire now and then. But if you look at governor's races, they elect a lot of Republican governors. So this will surprise you. I mean, everybody in the world assumes Vermont is Bernie Sanders and it's sort of a, you know, a wool socks and sandal kind of crowd. But the most popular politician in the state is a Republican who got elected um, for the third time with 74 percent of the vote. So realignment is going on and it's constantly going on. And you're very perceptive because I don't think people appreciate the fact that the American political system is much more malleable, m much more uh, prone to sort of fits and spurts than I think people think. And George is a great example, right? In 2000, it was still blue. 
uh, not long after 2000, it became deep red. And now in about 2020, it's become purple because of the Atlanta suburbs. Yeah. And I, you know, it'll be very interesting to see because in, in 2022, Governor Kemp and Brad Raffensperger were able to get a lot of independents and Democrats to vote for them. So they got those 52, 54, 55 percent, uh, which and really the governor is putting all of his resources in making sure that in 2024 that we don't look like a purple state. Now, whether he'll be able to do it or not, he's got a pretty darn good organization. Plus, he's a very well-liked governor. I mean, he's he's managed the state really, really well. And interestingly enough, Brian Kemp came out of Athens, which was a very Democrat area. He got elected as a Republican in a Democrat area initially. Then he got elected statewide, now three four times. He's been elected statewide as Secretary of State and now Governor. But he knows how to get along with people. And that's, even though he's very conservative in his viewpoints, he knows how to sit down and have a meeting with somebody. And if the dirty little secret is appointments, right? When you look at his appointments, he has very diverse across-the-board appointments around the state. And so he's made a lot of friends that way. Yeah, when we, when we were working on this story, it was amazing because we listened in on a lot of focus groups, which is where they get people in a room and ask them to talk about campaigns. And what you said is exactly what people said about Kemp, that he gets along with people. They give him high marks for being a family guy and his kids involved in everything. The, the flip side of that was really interesting, I thought, in Georgia, and you'll know this, is that Warnock did something that people rarely do anymore. And look, I was a Republican in Madison, Wisconsin, right? And I could only win that if I held on. Uh, you know, held on to the center. And so in Warnock's case, he actually ran an ad talking about how he worked with Ted Cruz to get stuff done. And they ran other ads talking about you need people who are going to work in the middle. And I thought that was a, a strategy rarely used anymore. And if you go and look at the columns about it or the CNN analysis, people were sort of gobsmacked saying, this, what's he doing running ads talking about working with the other party? But I think, especially in those Georgia suburbs, that's the kind of message that plays. Well, and I got to tell you, too, and we'll close with this, is that uh, Senator Warnock had absolutely the best commercials ever. And it was in his first run uh, because it was this jungle primary and it was everybody under him were just killing each other. And he was able to write, you know, do commercials about Christmas lights and puppies and he he created this very positive view of him that the other candidates weren't able to do. And it's, I mean, he has, I'm a Republican analyst, strategist. I get paid by Republicans to help them get elected. He had absolutely the best ads I have ever seen. And people remember him. In Georgia, you say Christmas lights and puppies, and they know you're talking about Raphael Warnock. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, that's. That's smart messaging. I mean, it, it, you know, for years, I one of the first commercials I did was sitting on a porch at a house with my golden retriever laying next to me in the old line that if you want a friend in Washington, find a dog. And people <laughs> spent more time during that campaign asking me if it was really my dog, how old he is, you know, what's his name. So it's strange how the littlest things sometimes in campaigns just catch on and other times it, it, it's flat. So from a distance, I can tell you, Running a campaign as Warnock did, specifically saying, I'm going to work with Republicans, is, uh, I, I think, a very smart message in this day and age. Scott Klug, if people want to know more about you, how can they do it? Uh, www.lostmiddle.com. It's, uh, it's storytelling. There's 14 episodes. And uh, you, you were uh, pressing it here that the next episode is on 
uh, realignment in January, and the one that's going to drop this week is on ticket splitting, and it really focuses on Wisconsin and Georgia. Thanks so much for being with us today.